Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, two words. Game seven. That's what we got tonight between the Lightning and the Capitals. The winner goes to the Stanley Cup final against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. How about that? Also, the Rays lose to Chris Sale and the Red Sox sport at two. Worse yet, Jake Faria is going to miss some time with a left oblique strain, but a splashy debut by Willie Adamas. And the Bucks begin OTAs. We'll tell you what Vita Vea has to do as part of his rookie orientation. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get started on this podcast, I want to tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30-day trial offer. That's a $15 value. And as a listener to this show, you get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com slash sportsday. That's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash sportsday for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. So the Lightning have Game 7 at home, and Tom Jones has seen a few of these. He joins us now. Tom, home ice has not really been an advantage in the playoffs so far in the NHL this year is it an advantage in game seven and if so why well the home team will tell you that it's an advantage going into the game because they want to believe it is i you know i think it can be in some ways rick where you have you know obviously there's a strategic uh advantage where you're able to match lines and that sort of thing and that'll mean in this game seven that the lightning will be able to get cedric Paquette and ryan callahan and chris kunitz out there against the veterans line which was pretty effective in game five so they, they like that idea. But other than that, you know, I'm telling you, I think when you get to a game seven, you throw a lot of these things out the window. I, I just think it's, it's, it's such a tense game. Um, you can feed, definitely feed off the energy of your crowd, but at the same time, I think the other team can feed off the nervousness of the crowd if something goes wrong for the home team early on. So it's, I mean, it sounds stupid to say, it's like, yeah, home ice advantage is great as long as the home team plays well. You know, if it doesn't play well, then it suddenly doesn't become an advantage. So, would I rather play the game at home than on the road? Probably. But in this particular case, I actually think Washington probably doesn't mind playing this game on the road. As much as they got energy from their crowd in game six, I think a lot of the pressure is off of them in, in this game seven. And I think most of it is going to be on Tampa Bay because even though Washington had that 2-0 lead to start the series, the Lightning had a chance to close it out in game six and didn't. So Washington, Washington knew it had to play this game in order to win the series. Tampa Bay doesn't want to have to play this game now they are. So I, I, don't, I don't think home ice advantage is going to be that big of a deal in this game. You've uh, watched some Game 7s before in, in all sports, and in, you know, in particular comparing hockey to anything else. What's so precious about, about a Game 7, um, particularly one to go to the Stanley Cup Final? Well, I mean, just that. I mean, just one game for the Stanley Cup Final. John Cooper talked about it um, when, he was, when he got back from Game 6. He said it was almost like the first six games were just for fun, and now this is the real game. Um, it really does come down to one game. And in talking to Dan Girardi as well, he said, look, he said, what makes these games so special is it really could be one play, one shift that costs you a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final. And he said that's, 
there's a lot of pressure involved, but at the same time, it's what you play your whole career for is to get into a game like this. So, you know, typically these games are pretty low scoring. If you look back at the history of Lightning Game 7, uh, there was a one nothing game a few years ago against Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, yep. They had a, uh, against Detroit a few years ago, it was a 2 nothing game with an empty netter, so it was essentially a one nothing game. When they beat the, the Rangers a couple years ago, 2 nothing in Game 7. And then against the Penguins, the last time they were in a Game 7, uh, which is also the last time they lost a Game 6 to send it to a Game 7, they lost that game 2-1 to one and had chances to tie the game at the end of the game. So typically these games are pretty tight. Every now and then you'll get a blowout game because if the team gets behind by a goal or two, they sort of start to panic and and end up giving up a bunch of odd man rushes and a and a, and a one nothing game to become a, become a five nothing game real quick. But if you look at the history of Tampa Bay sports game sevens, uh, it's been eight up, including the Rays, and one of them. They're all tight, they're all tense, and I think that's what makes it special because there's never. It's literally like two and a half hours of your heart in your throat because you know every every play could decide who wins the game. Psychology is such a big part of this, and, and the momentum, you know, you can argue whether there is any that carries over from game to game. But do the Lightning look at this now as, wow, we had we let one get away, we had a chance to bury these guys uh, and not have to have a game seven? Or do they say, we were down 0-2, and, and you know what? We'll take one game at home to win it all and go to the Stanley Cup. All of that. I think, I mean, on one hand, you can look at it and say they were down 0-2 after the first two games. They lost both games at home. If you have told them at that point they got a game seven in their building to go to the Stanley Cup, they'd have said, absolutely, we'll take that. At the same time, going into game six, after winning three in a row, you would have thought, hey, okay, you know, they, they don't want to have to play game seven. And the way game six went, it wasn't good. I mean, let's face it, this we can go back to game four and even go back to the first two games. I mean, game four was one where Vasilevsky stole it, but the first two games were Washington was dominant. I thought last night's game, even though the score was somewhat close and lightning still had chances early in the third period, I felt like that was the most I, the most dominant game of the series. I really felt like Washington was head and shoulders above Tampa Bay in that game last night, even just because of they, they threw their body around the way they did. So you look at that and say, well, who has the momentum coming into game seven? We asked, the media asked John Cooper this specifically, is there momentum in a playoff series? And does it go out the window for a game seven? And he seemed to think that it does. And we can look back at the one really game that sticks out in my mind was the, uh, the Lightning in, in 2015 when they played the Rangers. And they had game yeah. six at home. And they had a lead in that game, and then it just got away from them. Then Bishop got pulled. I think they got blown out 7-3. to three. And mm-hmm. then the Rangers were going home. Rangers almost perfect in the playoffs in Game 7. Henrik Lundqvist had never lost a Game 7 in his life. And the Lightning go in there and win 2 nothing. You know, there was no reason to think they should have gone in there and won that game. So I, I really do think it's a case of, yeah, momentum counts until you get to a Game 7. The Game 7 is so unique that that teams are, I think they play a different style. Everyone's a little nervous at the start. Nobody wants to make a mistake. And I think he's kind of throwing momentum out the window in, in a game set. You know, Alex Ovechkin is probably one of the greatest players in hockey to have never played for, you know, the Stanley Cup, to have been in a Stanley Cup sure. final. Um, and I think in watching these games that he has taken over this series. Um, that, yes. you know, he has been – uh, probably has as much urgency, and the physicality really sort of started with him, I thought, in game six. So does it feel as if Ovechkin can you, – you've seen hockey a lot. Can a superstar player carry you over the finish line? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you're exactly right about what he did in game six. And we've seen other players do it in other sports. Somebody, I think I heard on the NBC broadcast, I was at the game, so I, I didn't hear the broadcast, but somebody referred to it as Messier, like Mark, like he played yes. last night, like Mark, or the night in game six, like Mark Messier has played in the playoffs. Yes. And that's a great analogy because I've seen games where, this was even after Gretzky left Edmonton when they won the cup. And this is actually when he's with the Rangers. Like he, he single-handedly won games for them when they needed to win games. Well, he came out, Gretzky came out, and it was kind of a guarantee that they were going to win game six after he made a guarantee in the first round that they were going to come back and beat Columbus after falling down 2-0 in that series at home. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think he's, he's taken over this series. He, he's such a complete hockey player very rarely do you see a guy leads the league in goals who plays a physical style the way he plays i have a tremendous amount of respect for also that's I the thing i like about him is he he, he can run around sometimes and, and go after people and almost I, I won't say he's a headhunter he's not a dirty player although he's had a couple of dirty hits in his career but he never complains when he gets hit either you know he's not one of those right. guys who reacts you know he loves to play that like hockey and and i really respect that about him and I know Lightning fans are are uh, they obviously want the Lightning to win this game. I get that, but if you're going to lose this game, and I you know I hate to say it, like Alex Ovechkin deserves to play in the Stanley Cup final at some point because I think he's too good a player not to. I'm sure Lightning fans will think fine, let him do it next year. But it's uh, he, he's a player who at the end of all this, if they don't win the, the Capitals, no one can blame Alex Ovechkin for it. Right, he's laid it all on the line. And I thought yeah. that they still have been the the best uh, line that Washington has had. Um, so to that end, how do they stop? Uh, is that is that the game in, within the game? Do they, does Paquette and Kunitz and Callahan is that the line that has to to stop that Ovechkin line? Absolutely, and it's, I mean it, it's the only thing that reasonably worked back in Game Five. And the reason it worked is because those guys can can withstand the physical pressure of those guys. Paquette yeah. will take a hit to make a play. Obviously, Callahan will. Chris Kunitz is a guy who's played a ton of games against Alex Ovechkin over the years. I'll tell you some other guys that are going to matter too, Rick. And we're talking about the, you know, the, the Ranger, the ex-New York Ranger factor. Those guys like Dan Girardi and Anton Strauman and uh, uh, JT Miller and Ryan McDonough, those guys, and Callahan, of course, those guys have played a ton of playoff games against Alex Ovechkin. The Rangers and the Capitals used to play a lot against each other in the playoffs. So, I think it's going to, as much as it's going to take that, that Callahan line, it's also going to take some defensemen like Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi to, to help slow that Ovechkin line down as well. You know, when this series started, I saw uh, one of the, the uh, networks were talking about, you know, the Russians. Uh, they did a story on uh, Nikita Kucherov, and, and we know Vasilevsky's in that, but they, mostly it was about Kucherov, um, you know, uh, against Ovechkin and how he grew up idolizing this guy and now he's in the same series with him and whichever Russian plays better. Clearly, Kucherov has struggled in this series from a scoring standpoint. Yeah. He has one goal. And they said on TV, I know you weren't able to watch uh, the broadcast, but, you know, uh, Jeremy Rennick, Rennick uh, kind of raised the, the issue of, you know, is this guy, is he sulking? His body language is bad. His head is down. Uh, he didn't seem to come ready to play. He's still not shooting the puck. Uh, turned it over a whole lot. I mean, is there something that might be bothering Ovechkin? Or, I'm sorry, um, Kucherov, and not Kucherov. necessarily an injury. Maybe not necessarily an injury, but they raised the possibility of whether how he's being used when he's on the ice. I mean, 
What what do you see when you see Kucherov, or at least when you saw him in game in game six? Okay, I, everything you said, I agree with. I don't think there's any question that he's he's not been the the type of player that that delighting expect him to be. And it's not as if he as if he's never had playoff success. If you look back at the run in fifteen and the run in sixteen, he was a huge part of it, and actually was you know had some big goals earlier in, in this playoffs uh, against the Devils at the end of that series. He sort of took over at the end of that series, so. It's not a situation where he can't handle the big stage. He, he has shown that, that he is a, a big game player with the way he's played in the playoffs fast. But yet, clearly, there's something going on in this series. Now, is it, hey, I'm going up against my idol, and I'm not playing well, and, and therefore it looks bad? But John Cooper was asked about it, and he said, you know, he didn't hide from it. He said, look, we need more from Nikita Kucherov. Having said that, he hit the post in game six. Now, if that yeah. goes in, are we sitting there saying, "Oh, he no. looks awful"? You know, what's wrong with him? You know, Probably it, not. it really is for a guy like for a guy like him. You know, it's like uh, he doesn't do anything else besides score. You know, and and set up goals. You know, he's not Ovechkin. He can't go out there and throw big hits against people. Although we, I guess, we did see in the Jersey series he threw a big hit, but that's not his game. So, if he's not scoring, it's really noticeable. Whereas if other guys, for example, like a you know a uh, Ryan Callahan, if he's not scoring and he doesn't score a lot, you still notice him at times. Kutras, one of those guys that unfortunately just wasn't really no. I didn't think he was real noticeable for much of that game in Game Six. Right. Except for the turnovers and the bad passes. <laughs> um, and at some point, you know, uh, and, and maybe it was just out of desperation, but at some point, John Cooper split up Stankos and Kucherov, and Steve Versnick has been calling for that most of the second half of the year. Would you expect those lines, though, to go back together at least at the start of this game? And, and if so, why? No, I don't expect them to go off to, to that at the start of this game. And the reason I don't, and I think the reason he broke them up is because those guys are a disaster defensively out there. I mean, there right. were moments in game six where whenever you noticed that Washington was really coming and had sustained pressure and were cycling the puck and all over the lightning, you looked up and there was 91 and there was 86. And I think he broke those guys up, not because of an offensive reason. He broke them up because they, he, I don't think he felt like he could trust them defensively out there together. Um, I think the only way that those guys end up getting back together tomorrow uh, in uh, game seven is if, um, is if they get down in the game and they, and they need a goal. And they, and they okay, say, okay, let's put our two best offensive players back out there with one another. You may, you may, you may trip. To uh, to create some offense with those two guys, but I think as long as this game's uh, you know scoreless or it's a one goal game and there's still a lot of time left, I, it's just my gut feeling that he'll keep those guys separated. I think Andre Vasilevsky um, has played well each time the, the the series has extended itself after those first two games. Um, I remember Ben Bishop in Game Seven against the Rangers when they went to the Stanley Cup was probably the difference. I mean, I think it was a shutout, if I'm not mistaken. Does Kucherov yeah. or does uh, Vasilevsky have that in him? Would you would you be surprised if he pitched a shutout? I would not be surprised. And I think if there's one area where you look at this game after game six, I, I know a lot of people are doubting this lighting team after what they saw in game six because, I mean, how do you stop a freight train, which is what Washington right. looks like. If Washington comes out and plays that exact same style again, how do you stop it? Because, like, mm-hmm. as I was telling people on Twitter during Game Six, everybody said, "Well, they got to get more physical." So that's not who they are. They're not. They're a finesse <laughs> team. Like, you're not going to change the style in Game Six of the Eastern Conference Finals. So, 
there's a lot of reason to believe that boy, if Washington repeats that performance, it's going to be hard to stop him. But if I if I if I were a Lightning fan, I would I would feel good about the goalie matchup. I still think Andre Vasilevsky is a better goalie than Braden Holby. Now Holby, I know he had a shutout in Game Six. I thought it was an easy shutout. I, I didn't think he worked hard at all to get that shutout. Very little traffic in front of him. Um, hardly any second chance shots. I mean, most everything was the, the lightning would bring it up the ice, even in the third period when they generated a little bit, it was pretty much on the rush and a quick shot and a save. And that was it play over. Um, so I, I think, you know, they obviously need to put a little more traffic in front of Hopi, but if it came down to which guy is more likely to steal a game, which goalie do I trust more? Uh, it's Andre Vasilevsky. Which goalie is more liable to give up a leaky goal? I think it's Holtby. So I do think the Lightning could have an advantage in goal, um, but obviously the Lightning's going to have to. I mean, they're going to have to create some sort of offense. They haven't scored since. This is hard to believe. They haven't scored a goal since 33 seconds in the second period of Game Five, and that was at Ryan Callahan, kind of a fluky goal. You know, they, that was the last time they scored a goal in the series. They've gone over 99 minutes without a goal, so they could, they better figure out something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're uh, inspiring confidence all over Tampa Bay right now. So um, you know John Cooper a little bit, and uh, you're not privy to his conversations with his team. Um, but what would you imagine that, that Cooper will say uh, or the message he will leave with them before they, they take the ice, uh, you know, in this Game 7? I, I think, you know, he's not one to, to really um, – he's not really one to panic. I, I don't think – and he's I also don't – and I don't know this because, like I said, I haven't been like you mentioned. I haven't been inside those rooms when he has these conversations. I don't think he's going to give any Herb Brooks. You know, you'll take this to your grave if you don't win this game. I, I don't think he looks at it in those terms. That he's very in the moment type of a coach. Where um, I don't think he's talking about what this all means at the end of it. I think he's. I right. think he's talking about okay. Here's what, here's what we have to do in the first period. You know, um, he was big and stressing uh, when we talked to him at the airport after they returned from Game Six. Uh, it's not how many goals you score in in a game seven, but how many goals you give up. And if you can if you can keep the other team off the board, obviously you're going to give yourself a really good chance to win the game. So um, I think that's what I think it's going to be very tactical. I think it's going to be mostly strategy, and I and I think uh, you know he's going to be very calm. He also described in game game sevens are sort of the epitome of what the playoffs are. Uh, they, they in one game, and that is. Like during the course of the playoffs, you have losses that you didn't see coming. You have victories that are unbelievable. You try not to get high or, too, or low on any of it. He said game seven is, is sort of a microcosm of that, that there's going to be something that goes wrong. You might get a penalty. You might, uh, mm-hmm. you might get a bad bounce. Something You might hit a post when you're on a 5 on 3 pipeline. And you can't let that destroy you. you can't just get, he said don't let game seven swallow you. So I think what he's, his message is going to be is as much as you try to, Make it like this is just another hockey game. You don't you don't try to make it more than what it is, um, but at the same time, everybody knows what's at stake. So I, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna try to give any big pregame speech about hey, this is we're all gonna be defined by this game. I, I think it's gonna be more of hey, let's go out and here's what we need to do in the first period. So you've watched this team pretty much all year. You've certainly covered every game <laughs> in the in the postseason, and you've flown back and forth with them and put in as many miles as they have. Um, you know, predictions are just that, right? I mean, they, they're not worth anything. But if, if, do you have a sense, really, of, of which team will win Game 7? 
Man, I, I was afraid you were going to ask me this, and I'm not afraid to answer it because I'm afraid of the answer. I just don't, I don't know what my answer is. It's, I think every, that's true. Every, I think that's how most people feel. <laughs> yeah. Every step of the way in this in these playoffs, I've had a hard time getting handled. And this Lightning team is is maddening. I mean, I again, I go back to 2015 where they win a game. They had no business winning in game four in the first round against the Red Wings. And they win that game. They say, okay, they're going to come back home and win the series now. And then they go home and lose game five. You know, right. and the Rangers game I mentioned a little while ago, they lose a game six at home when they should have won. And, the, you know, there's just a ton of games that they've won and lost if you didn't think they were going to win or lose. I mean, as I was pretty sure this series was going seven after four games. You know, I, I thought. Right, right. When it's two, two, yeah. Games five and six. However, right before faceoff in game six, I really thought the Lightning was going to win game six. I don't know why. I just had this huh. gut feeling that they were going to win. And it turned out to be. Again, Washington was pretty dominant. Um, so going into this game, immediately afterwards, I said, there's no way Lightning's going to win the game seven. If the Capitals play like that, there's no way that the Lightning mm-hmm, can beat them. Mm-hmm. But as time's going on and it gets closer, I'm not, my gut's going back to the Lightning again. I, and I don't know if it's because they have home ice or because, um, you know, it's their, it's their turn to win a game here. You know, I... I just I, I I don't have any explanation other than I think that's what might happen. So I just might win this game seven, but I, I would not bet. People say like you know would you put stake your life or bet your house on like I wouldn't bet like a dollar on it at this point because that's how unsure I am of this. Thing. What do you think? I mean, you've, you've been watching this thing. You've well, I mean, I <laughs> look. I think it's on. I think just on the whole that I I feel like Washington has played better in this series. Um, even though it's mm-hmm. tied, their 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 two wins were very dominant, very clean. Um, certainly their win, you know, um, the other night was, was very convincing after the first period. Um, but having, having, you know, sort of having said all that, um, I don't think Washington can play any better than they did in game six. And I think that, I think the lightning can and probably will. Um, and you know, they'll be forced to be, to play a careful, like you said, low scoring, uh, don't turn the puck over 200 foot, you know, back checking mm-hmm. for checking you know everything you can do defensively to help out what is already a pretty good goaltender so yeah i mean i i think it's sort of even i mean i i can see where people would favor the capitals and i think most of the national people will um if you if you really pin them down to it i i mean they were very impressed with what washington did and like you said the fact that they're not in their own building might actually be an advantage because they've yeah. let those fans down so many times there in game 7s and and in other scenarios so, you know, all of that would seem to lean the Capitals' way. But um, I, I just, you know, the Lightning have, have risen to the occasion. And let's face it, it would have been really hard to beat a Washington team four times in a row. Any team in the playoffs, let alone it's so in the Eastern Conference. It's so funny you say that because yeah, we were so funny after the, after the news conference uh, on Tuesday after the team returned from Game 6, there was a bunch of just standing around talking to John Cooper afterwards and, and it was sort of just a nobody was nobody was quoted and we were just all yeah. talking. And he said uh he said, hey, look, I'm the coach of this team and I can't believe we beat him three games in a row. <laughs> He's right. like, let alone four. We were he goes, What he said, what what the Lightning did against Boston's amazing when you look back in the fact that they were able to take Boston out four games in a row. So I think you make a A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Great point there, that it's really hard to beat a team four games, so they were bound to lose one at some point. And, and I'm with you, too. I, I think the, the lighting, I think the Capitals have played, have, we've seen their A game, and I think we've seen it a yes. couple times. In, these, in, these, yes. in this series, I think the best the Lightning have done was probably Game Five. In the first mm-hmm. period, they were really good. They come out and score right away, and then they score early mm-hmm. in the second, and then mm-hmm. they sort of held on. I think that was their best game in the series, and that was probably like like a B, maybe a B plus game. I still don't think we've seen their A game. Now, maybe Washington has something to do with that. Maybe they, maybe they're sure. not. Maybe they're incapable of playing their A game going up against that team. But I still think the Lightning has another level to get to. And I also think, although Washington has some really nice players, and clearly Ovechkin's the you know, elite goal scorer, and you got guys like Backstrom and T.J. Oshie, and they can, they can you know make plays as well. I just think the Lightning have a couple extra guys who might single-handedly get you a goal. Kucherov, uh, a Braden Point, you know, a Stamco, somebody like that, a Victor Hedman. You know, I think there's a little more individual skill and sometimes in a game seven, that's that's the difference. That's one shift, one guy making one play that nobody else can make. That is the difference in the game. Get your rest, Tommy. There's nothing like a game seven. It's going to be intense. <laughs> and, uh, man, I'm looking forward to it because I, I think uh, the drama is going to be phenomenal. So thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, Rick. See you then. Well, what we all have to admit is we don't know what's going to happen. But having said all that, there are gut feelings and somebody's going to be right. But. I really do believe that uh, the Lightning can play much better, and I'm not sure that the Capitals will. So for that reason, I think if the Lightning sort of play their brand, Steve, and you know, it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, I, I don't know that it's going to be a ton of shots on goal either way. I think teams will be careful not to turn the puck over. They should be careful not to you know, commit penalties and try to stay out of the box, not give power play chances. So all that being said um, – I like the home crowd. I, I like uh, I like the Lightning winning another home game, and I kind of think they're going to eke it out, but I think it's going to be pressure-packed, man. It's going to be quite a spectacle. Game sevens generally are. They're generally low-scoring, and as Tom told us, you know, the Lightning's history has been very close games in game seven. Yeah, um, for sure. There hasn't been a game in this series go to overtime yet. Could we see that in a game seven, which is incredible mm. pressure at that point? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and it, I, I remember I was not much of a hockey fan growing up, um, you know, but if it was on the tube occasionally, you'd catch it. And I remember I was in college and I was home and I came home for the summer and one night came home and I'm watching a game late. And it turns out it's I believe it was Calgary and Vancouver. It was game seven. Uh, I believe it was a conference final. It could have been a conference semifinal. And it went a couple overtimes. And I couldn't go oh to bed. Goodness. I couldn't go to bed. And I'm not even a hockey fan, but just watching it, the excitement, the intensity. This was 1994, I believe. And right. I, I remember just, it was incredible. I mean, you're sitting there going, this is fan- This is like the best thing ever. And this is, you know, I, like I said, I watch hockey occasionally, but I wasn't a fan by any means. And yeah. you know, game seven overtimes are just incredible. I, I can't even imagine, well, you know, I mean, the game six overtime, you know, I wasn't in Tampa Bay at the time, but oh, that you was know, stupid. Marty St. Louis and double overtime scores in Calgary to send it to a game seven. <laughs> was, I mean, yeah. that, that had that to be insane as a fan. It, it was. It was such a, and such a tough angle goal, and it was so – and that's the thing, the suddenness of it all. It's literally, you know, you, you, you win or die, 
on any potential shift. And so that that's what the drama is. It's exhausting. Fans will watching this either in the arena or at home or wherever watch party. Um, they'll they'll be mentally and physically exhausted because of the stress of this. But I'm I think it's great. It's exciting. Look, this would only be the fourth time I believe that a Tampa Bay team will be playing for a championship. Um, you know, the Lightning have done it what twice now. This will be the fifth. I believe this would be the fifth. The fifth time. Yeah, yeah the fifth. Yeah, Lightning time. have yeah, done it twice. The Rays played once. And the Bucks played once. Rays and Bucks. So yeah, it's it's pretty damn rare is the point. And so you know, for them to to get to this position. Um, again, it's all about the fans. and Even the conference finals um, is rare. I think, and, and yeah. Bobby Fenton was talking about this, and the numbers may be slightly off, but it's close. I believe there's been nine times the Tampa Bay team has been in a conference final in 80-some seasons, if you combine all the seasons for Bucks, Rays, and Lightning together. Jeez. So, you know, and then I think the Lightning have been five times right. to the conference finals. Right. Um, well, the Bucks have been three. Yeah, and the Rays were one, uh, and mm-hmm. Lightning have been five, so... This being the fifth one, but it's rare. Right. It's, it's so enjoy it. For I mean, yeah, as nerve wracking as it is, as as anxious as people can get, but enjoy it. This is yeah, this is rare, and and this is the third time in four years the Lightning have been to the conference final. I know, I know. You know, people sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes you know, when we get really critical of of whether it's Stamkos or Kucherov or whoever, that you know this team's really good. And, and yeah. they have been for several years, and they're built to be good for years to come. Yeah, no, it's a great organization, and, and they, they get a lot of credit for getting there. But you know what? When you do get this far, because it is so hard, and you can't – you know, look, they missed the playoffs a year ago. Missed mm-hmm. them. Didn't get in. I know it was by a point, but still. Um, and and when, you, when you've climbed this mountain, and, you know, at, at some point it's inevitable everybody's going to fall to the bottom and have to start all over again. That is a long climb. I mean, they are in the stratosphere right now, and they are one game away um, from from playing for the Stanley Cup and having a chance to put their name on that cup. And guys go their whole careers without playing in a final, certainly without winning one. They are right there. And, and that's the same for, I mean, think about Washington's history. Uh, think about, you know, Alexander Ovechkin, what a, what a great Hall of Fame player he has been, how great he's been in this series. You know, he feels like this is his time, and it's the Caps' time. So, you know, these are these are two pretty evenly matched franchises, and it's going to be it's going to be really something as they lay it all on the line. So, I'm excited, but uh, make sure you all get your rest and take your nerve pills or whatever you have to do because it's uh, it's going to be a stressful night. Is it 8:15 p.m. yet? <laughs> it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long could day be. counting down to it. Could be. I, I mean, mean, you know, hopefully, as a sports fan, I mean, when you have a big game like this, and then you got to wait. Not only yeah. till seven or seven thirty the normal time, but now to eight fifteen. That's a long yeah. day for fans, man. And it, it it's, is. It, and and I assume for the players too. I mean, I I, I got to assume there's some nerves or the nap maybe a little harder to take today. You know. Yeah, they're creatures of habit, and during mostly during the regular season, and sometimes in the early rounds of the playoffs, they play at seven seven fifteen. So it's an extra hour already. Um, but this would be a nervy thing to do. Uh, I'm sure people will turn on. The pregame shows and all that stuff and um, and get themselves. And hopefully they'll listen to the podcast and get the breakdown and enjoy the breakdown Tom Jones um, just gave us uh, right there. Uh, meanwhile, the Rays uh, were back home against the Red Sox and Chris Sale, who is from nearby Lakeland and always seems to dominate. I'm sure he has plenty of people in the trop uh, when he pitches, but he was tough again uh, in this game uh, on Tuesday. They uh, The Red Sox went 4-2. to two. Sale was uh, – you know, was was pretty dominant, but uh, they also had to face 
Craig Kimbrell, who, you know, that's kind of unfair when you face both those guys in the same game. But he struggled a bit in the ninth inning. The Rays actually loaded the bases. Um, Jesus Sucre got a single. There's a pinch hit double by Miller, Brad Miller, and then uh, a walk to Ruff Snyder. And then Malik Smith ended up bouncing into a fielder's choice. So that's how close they were to potentially tying that game. Uh, and, and that's after some really bad luck and a bad some bad news for Jake Faria. He goes down, I think it was in the second inning. Uh, third inning, or third I believe, inning. I believe third. Yeah, and and it was a uh, it was weird. He you know he threw a ball and it didn't look like he was either frustrated or something happened. Well, something happened. He has a uh, a left oblique strain, and that's that's an injury you never want to hear with a pitcher because it's very slow to heal. Um, you know, typically a month, sometimes two months um, before you can get past that. He had a similar injury a year ago. It wasn't in the exact same spot, and they talked to him after the game. He was just beyond frustrated he was sort of mad at himself if you will uh, it's not one thing it's another and today I actually felt pretty good other than the home run it, everything felt pretty good and you know just everything up to this point has been a complete letdown you know I haven't done anything to help this team win ball games and it's just another another way of me letting them down so of course it looks like he's headed for a pretty extended stay on the DL and they got to go back now to the minor leagues or to Durham or, or make better use of some of the guys, whether it's Matt Andrees or others, in their bullpen now to take free a spot. So disappointing. And then on really a couple, I don't know, pitches later uh, or so, um, you know, Jose Ramos ends up getting whacked on the thumb, and it's a contusion. His injury is not as serious. He, I guess he had taken a similar hit just two nights earlier, so that's why it was so sore. Yeah, he said his, um, his, but, he thought it was a little numb, but it was getting feeling back after the game, and he was confident he yeah. wasn't going to go on the DL. Right. They they may give him a couple days off, but I think uh, I think he'll be back in short order. The big story, though, and it was worth the price of admission, was the debut of Willie Adamas. I mean, you know, this is the prospect that everybody's sort of been waiting for, and he came up. He got, I think you said, Steve, he got to the trop maybe a half hour yeah, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Joey Wendell and his wife had a baby, uh, so he's congratulations, and mm-hmm. uh, apparently everyone's doing fine. But he's on the paternity list for two or three days, so they called up Willie Adamas, the shortstop that they got in the David Price deal back in 2014. Yeah. So at the time, I think he was a 17-year-old. I believe he's 21 now and has worked mm-hmm. his way up to Durham and now to the big leagues for the first time. Played a really good shortstop, and I'll tell you, um, if your first, uh, you know, major league debut for the Rays ends this way, home run against Chris Sales, and it, it was Chris Sale, and it was a no doubter, man. He blasted that thing. It got up in a hurry, got very high, and very deep. So that was really cool to see. And as Kevin Cash said after the game, you know, just another guy that sort of looks the part. You know, wasn't too big for him. I mean, you're going against the toughest left-hander maybe in baseball. And uh, you know, and you go yard on them in your first first major league game with the Rays, so that was that was impressive and and fun to see. And he actually came up in the ninth inning, you know, with a couple of guys on, and uh, he wound up, I believe, striking out uh, against Kimbrel, but uh, had a pretty good at bat. And I know he was frustrated because it was a big moment, you know, for him. But again, he was aggressive, and and it didn't he didn't shrink from it for sure. So. Um, they're gonna. I tell you, you know, the, the few kids that they have had up and down, and and we know what's down there. Jake Bauer's still down there, and some others. I think this is going to be a pretty exciting team, a pretty fun team to watch in the next few years. Um, who knows, you know, when they'll all be up uh, later this year, or or just how that's going to play out. But um, they do have finally some some position players, some prospects, and uh, 
so yeah, I, I, I think this is going to be a fun team to watch uh, in the years to come. So I was at One Buck Place on Tuesday. They had their OTAs, their organized team activity, and really this is the first, if you will, full squad workout where the offense can actually go against the defense. It's in shorts. It's the underwear Olympics. They have helmets. They don't hit. Uh, offensive and defensive linemen can't really engage. Um, but there is, you know, a value to a, to a practice. It looks like an off-season practice, and, you know, they're out there with scripts and running plays, and they do do some individual drills and then team drills and then – finally go 11 on 11 which is something they haven't been able to do in the first couple phases of the off season so uh, a couple observations uh you know this is a voluntary mini camp so that means that it's just that they don't have to come they don't have a reason have to have a reason for not showing up one of the players who wasn't there was Justin uh, Jason Pierre Paul you know and no excuses given none is needed uh, i'm told it's nothing serious that there's nothing sinister you know these guys have lives it's their off season um some veterans have conflicts for this or that. You don't know what's going on in their personal lives. And some of them, you know, prefer to train elsewhere. But, I mean, Pierre Paul's been a guy that's always been pretty much a regular in Giants camp. So I'm not really sure why he wouldn't be here um, yesterday. But but he was not, and Brent Grimes wasn't there, and a couple guys were held out. Um, overall, the observations, you know, I'll say this, their receiver – the receiver room is very, very deep. Um, they've added some good players, and I, I think that you know what's going to be something to watch is just the emergence of Chris Godwin. We, we've said it. Todd Munkin said it a couple days ago how he considers him a starter. Uh, and from what I could see, at least, and we know Deshaun Jackson, who was there, by the way, working in the first day of OTAs, is, is going to get another shot you know, to make the plays they couldn't make last year with Jameis Winston. But – I saw an awful lot of Godwin lining up outside opposite Mike Evans and a lot of Deshaun Jackson in the slot. And when, you know, they go to that sub package and, you know, if you want to keep your three best receivers on the field, they can all play, you know, Mike Evans has played inside and Deshaun has played inside and even Godwin has played inside. We know about Adam Humphreys, which is sort of his role. Um, But if you want to get your three best receivers on the field at one time, I think that's probably the way they will go, and it looked pretty good. Godwin catches everything. Um, he runs good routes. You know, he he looks more confident than he did a year ago, which was was pretty good. And we all remember the last two games that he had. Um, you know, when, when Jackson was out, and of course the game winner against the Saints, he had over 200 yards combined the last two two games of last season. So they were raving about him. Um, you know, it's. Uh, there's some offensive alignment that are still out, but again, you can't really engage. And then the other part was Gerald McCoy. We had a chance to talk to him a little bit about some of the additions that they have made, whether you're talking about Bo Allen or Mitch Unrein or JPP, who wasn't there, as I mentioned. Um, and, and of course, Vita Vea, their first round pick. And it was interesting to see McCoy's take. Here's the thing. The media, you guys see names and immediately get excited. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that it's a lot of work to be done. I've been doing this a long time. I've seen people come in and people go out. And I'm excited for the names, which is great. So much work to be done. So I, I look at things a little different. Sure. You know, I look at now we have guys uh, where we don't have to lay a foundation. They have the foundation because of all the experience they have. Um, but so much work to be done, man. Today is the first day of OTAs. Uh, we have phase one and phase two. Uh, where we learn uh, new techniques, Coach Buck. Uh, but yeah, so much work to be done. I'm not, 
I don't, you know, all jump all. Yeah, I don't get all hype like that. I, it's too much work to be done. So I'm excited for the names, but so much work. Because you forget that even though they've been sort of in the off-season program now for, um, well, for probably about a month or so, uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of install and stuff like that. These guys are really learning a new defense. I mean, there's a lot of new pieces on that defense, including some rookies, guys like Carlton Davis, who was starting, um, you know, sort of outside when, especially in the in the sub packages when Vernon Hargraves goes inside and three wide. And so you're going to have a lot of learning. And even even you know yesterday, you could see Bo Allen and Vinny Curry and others sort of ask Gerald, you know, when the tempo got ratcheted up in two minutes, some other things like where, where do I line up? I mean, they, they are literally trying to figure out where they're supposed to be and what their responsibilities are. So I would just say, I think overall this defensive line is very deep and I think it's, it's going to be a, a fairly solid NFL defensive line. And um, with the guys that got going, coming back and William Golston and Noah Spence and all those guys that they've added, but it, it's going to take some time. It's, it, it may not be, and, and they have time. I mean, it's, you know, we're sitting here in May, there's plenty of OTAs and then a mandatory mini camp, and then before you know it, it'll be training camp. And um, and Cutter admitted, he says, "Yeah, the defense is probably going to take a little longer, uh, but offensively, the weapons are there. There's a lot of continuity, and and really that that receiver room is pretty formidable." So, the one thing that Gerald McCoy said that I thought was funny, um, you know, Gerald has a nice sense of humor, and he was talking about Vita Vea, and you know, unlike some veteran players who don't like to help rookies, especially those that may eventually take their jobs, I guess you could argue, although I don't know that Vea was really technically take Joe's job. But, um, you know, he, he's going to help him out and all those things. He asked one thing of Vea. And Vita's mandatory rookie duties, you can mark it. I told him he has to tell my children that he is Maui from Moana. <laughs> when he introduced himself to my kids, the only rookie duty I'm going to give him, ain't no dinner, ain't none of that. You make sure when you introduce yourself to my kids, you introduce yourself as Maui. Which is, of course, from the Disney movie Moana. And, and that, and that Vea would have to perform at all the birthday parties of, You're welcome. The, of the players and sing You're Welcome. Yeah, The Rock, the famous song, which I have heard a gazillion times in my house. But it is true. and we, there's, some, there's a nice tweet up on, uh, uh, by Greg Allman, um, and, and I've retweeted it at NFL Stroud of... Uh, of a you know picture of Maui the character played by the Rock, uh, or voiced over by the Rock, and then and then of course Vita Vea, and you can definitely <laughs> see the similarities. But but it was playful, it was fun the way Gerald said it, and uh, you can tell those two are off to a pretty good start as far as relationship building goes and all of that. So uh, the Bucks will have OTAs again uh, on uh, Thursday, and so we'll be back out there at, at One Buck Place with a chance to talk to more players and a co- and uh, as well as Coach Dirk Cutter. They'll have, I think they have another one next week as well. So about every third one or so, we'll be able to watch the full practice and then bring you a report. And you can always check for updates on that on TampaBay.com. So exciting night in store with a Game 7. We'll talk about that tomorrow, obviously. Will the Lightning may move on now to the Stanley Cup Final, or will they start you know, getting the golf clubs out? I mean, that's that's what we're down to right now. So nothing like a Game 7. We'll have... A full recap of that tomorrow, um, as well as the Rays and, and uh, plenty of other things for you. We're glad that you guys. Hey, but kudos, to kudos to USF. Oh, that's right, the Bulls. What about yeah? Scheduling about Florida for a three-game series in 2022 at Gainesville, 2023 at Tampa, and 2025 at Gainesville. 
pretty cool for USF. And and I you know I credit Florida for wanting to schedule them too. I mean, Florida State did this and didn't seem to have any trouble with with playing and or beating um, USF of, you know, recently. But Charlie Strong, I, I think probably his association or past association with that university probably didn't hurt. And you know to get the Gators at Raymond James and. Uh, a short drive for USF fans to go up to Gainesville and see him play a couple of years, you know, and that's that's what this business has become about. It's it's sort of a little like college basketball. They're almost like a straight the schedule thing. So, um, you know, Florida will certainly benefit from playing them, and if they can beat them, and it only helps raise the profile of USF. So, well, you and I were talking uh, I th- about the non-conference schedules of USF before this, and if you look at their future non-conference schedules, you know, this year they're going to play uh, Georgia Tech at home, and then at Illinois, so two Power Five conferences. Next year in the offseason or the non-conference, they're playing. They're hosting Wisconsin at Georgia Tech and hosting BYU. That's BYU's essentially Tough. a Power Five, so three Power Five conferences. Mm-hmm. The next year, it's at Texas. Uh, they still have a TBD date in there. Twenty twenty one, they're at NC State and at BYU. Twenty twenty two, they have Texas at home at Florida at Louisville. Yikes! I mean, they're scheduling good teams, considering they yeah. play in a pretty bad conference. That's what you should right. do, and that's what you should give your fans, and that's how you build a program and become better, not playing Little Sisters of the Poor. Yeah, and you don't get any credit for the FBS teams and all that. So, um, you know, if they can prove they can hang with the big boys, who knows? Maybe a Power 5 conference will come calling, and that's that's essentially what you need to play for a national championship. So I credit Charlie Strong for not backing down and, and for the University of Florida and Dan Mullen for not being afraid to play them. I mean, um, they'll give them a very tough game, and, you know, it's so far down the road. I mean, you you know – the guys will be playing that game. What would they be in high school right now? Are they even in high school yet, or are they in middle school probably, yeah, some, I guess? Well, yeah, some some may be in middle school, I guess, for the yeah, 2025 so, game. Yeah, so do your recruiting now to figure out who's going to who's gonna be the stars of those games. But um, but it's cool. I think all Florida teams should play each other. I mean, it'd be great. I, I mean, I love Florida. The Miami series was always great, and USF has played both Miami and Florida State in the past, and – of course, Florida and Florida State and, and Miami are big rivals. You, and, and on rare occasions, Florida will play Miami. So I think it's great when all the powerhouses. And then if UCF wants to jump in there as national champions, they're welcome to it as well. So, um, But uh, I didn't see them uh, making this deal. So it was good for USF. So all of that, full pack day uh, today. And uh, we're here every day, Monday through Friday. We're glad you found this podcast. And we love the interaction that we have with you guys on Twitter at SportsDayTV. Uh, to get some feedback from you, you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address, rstroud at tampabay.com. Love for you to rate and review this podcast. Steve, where can they do that? So anywhere you get podcasts, you can subscribe. That's the best way to get this podcast. So whether it's through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, uh, go there, uh, subscribe to the podcast so it'll download to your mobile device every day, or any third-party apps can do that too. Or you can always go to tampabay.com slash sports, the latest episode's there, and you can uh, like it there as well or subscribe to. So we got a Game 7. Enjoy it. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 